What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. How are we doing? Show and go. Tuesday, January 24th. This is episode five on the heels of Dylan Cease ahead of another interview. Jack Taylor, it's just us talking baseball right now, talking something that we find fascinating in the game that I want to pick the brain of a player and a player wants to get uh, off his chest. Taylor, you just told me that you were listening to uh, an episode of The Call-Up, which is just baseball's prospect podcast, where Aram and I were redrafting the 2020 MLB draft. And, and the redrafts are really fun. You said you want in. You're going to get in. When, when yeah, I already got back. my feelings hurt that I wasn't a part of that one. All right. Yeah, no, we got you. We got you for 2018. And when it's socially acceptable to do 2021, like we can't redraft 2021 yet because all those guys no. are still prospects. So like when we do 2018, you're on it. And when it's socially acceptable to do 2021, you're on it. But you were listening to the 2020 redraft and you thought of a point that Aram and I have discussed a lot. And it it's a really interesting dynamic in the world of prospecting. And a guy that has spent a lot of time watching prospects come up and blossom at the major <laughs> league level, I'm sure you've got a very unique take on this. Yeah. So so for the listeners, um, if you haven't listened to their 2020 redraft, um, I actually just tuned into part two. Um Part one and part two are out. Listen to both of them. Nice plug. And, and Company man. I thought you got. I, I thought you guys did a, a really good job of explaining each pick. I think too many people just go through and they're like, yeah, I just like this guy. You guys did a really good job of explaining why. My question to you guys, and, and um, I'm sure we're going to have difference of opinions here just from our backgrounds. How much weight does level to level carry on a prospect? So, for example... I said, I have no issue a guy gets drafted in the first round, a guy's a first pick, uh, a Mickey Moniak going 1-1 and turning immediately into a top 10 prospect in baseball. Totally cool with it. But at what point do we say, okay, in 2020, there were, well, 2020 is a bad year. Let's say a year where there's 20 rounds and there's 30, 30, there's 650 picks. There's not, but let's just say there's 650 picks. Of those 650 picks, 15 of them have gotten to the big leagues. Now, of those 15, let's say 10 of them were probably prospects and five were just players that that over, overperformed what they were supposed to when they got there. My question that I pose to you is, how much value does getting to the big leagues and does level-to-level level hold for a non-player? Because I'll tell you, for me, when I go through this and I see this, I think I've just seen too many people that have got stuck at a level and you may have raked the year before you may have pitched really well the year before in high a and double a and you got to triple a and it just didn't work out. So be it. But at what point does getting to the big leagues make your prospect status higher? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that, you know, something that Aram and I have discussed a lot, and Aram is the ranking guy. I will have input on where to put guys, um, but Aram has the final say with all that stuff. When he puts together the team top 10s, the top 100, and even something as, as simple as a redraft where it's us going back and forth, I think he and I align where proximity matters a lot. And, and if there are guys that we believe are at similar skill levels, 
we're going to go with the guy that is closer to the big leagues that has proved it at the higher level. So what about a guy that, what about non, what about non similar skill levels? What about a guy that is just flat out, not as talented as the, the guy next to him didn't even perform as well in the minor leagues as the guy next to him, but, but he's a big, big leaguer. So can you, can you give me an example of like who you may be talking about? Because my mind immediately goes to yeah, a Matt McLean versus an Edwin Arroyo in the red system. Like McLean, seasoned college guy, already at the double-A level, he's fine. Arroyo is really good in low-A. Those two are like right next to each other on a lot of Reds prospect lists. Who's higher? I side with proximity. I side with polish, and I side with McLean. But, um, you know, a, a guy... I'm thinking about somebody that was like forced up. Um, do you think Leover Piguero is a good idea? Because like that was a weird COVID type thing. Um, like is do you consider yeah. Leover Piguero a big leaguer to this point because he has a big league game under his belt? Yes. I okay. you know, the one thing I'll always say, like you get to the big leagues, it's something nobody can ever take away from you. Like you're a major leaguer. And like I think even a good example, like talking about somebody like that to a lesser extent, but like let's go 2021, Rodolfo Castro. Castro. Like that dude went from double A when there were guys in triple A that could have gone to the big leagues. And now he went because of proximity to the, to Pittsburgh. Right. But he's now taken advantage of being up there. And like, he's a guy, I, I, I think he's a really talented baseball player. I think he's gonna be good, but by no means was he the most talented guy in that system. And by no means was he even the best middle infielder in on that team. Right. So like at, at what point now? So like for me, he holds more value than a than your average prospect because he's gotten there and he's done it. And I know that I, I know that he can do it. I just wonder sometimes that and, and I think it's just because there's so many prospects that don't get there. And yeah. it's like, that's great. You're a really talented player, but if I'm talking about a prospect, I'm talking about a prospect to be a good major leaguer, you're a major leaguer. So I've I've got an example that okay. like cut and dry just popped into my mind. And so much of this conversation stemmed from, you know, I, I think 2020, you said you, you didn't exactly remember, but I, I think this conversation may have started internally when we were talking about Tink Hens. And Tink Hens kept on sliding. He I think he was like 23 or 24, he ended up going. And Tink Hens is one of the better pitching prospects, right-handed pitching prospects in minor league baseball right now because he shoved in three inning spurts in low A for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yep. It was like 15 to 20 starts, 50 innings, but a 1-4 ERA. And it's hard to argue with a 1-4 ERA. Now, when you look at Cardinals' top prospect lists, Tink Hentz, right now, going into the 2023 season, is ahead of Matthew Liberator who has been at the upper-level minor leagues, who has been in Major League Baseball. And a big leaguer. But has struggled in Major League Baseball and has struggled at the AAA level. But Libby's yeah. a AAA and big league ball player. Tink Hentz is a like, low-A baseball player at this point. Exactly. And, and that, to me... So, And I'll tell you this, too. Like This is interesting for me, but like I've always said that um, pitchers especially, I think everybody gets to a point I don't think anybody is like not good enough for a level. I just think everybody gets to a point where like you've, you've, you've met your match. You're, you're equal to everybody else, right? Like whether that's in the big leagues, whether that's freaking in the hall of fame, if you're Justin Verlander, um, whether that's in double a, I don't think many people know, but I think that at some point guys just start getting hit 
that's part of that equation. And like, I'll even give you this, this will get the fans going. This will get a jerk reaction. <laughs> like let's go 2021 prospect lists. And I love the kid. I think he's going to be an ace. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez being on the top of these prospect lists for absolute reason, right? He's a physical freak. He can really pitch. Um, he has everything. I've caught him. I've been around him. I really think he's going to be a number one for a really long time. Um, but in my mind, he was doing all of that in high A when there were guys in his draft class that had gotten to the big leagues and it helped a team in the big leagues. I just kind of question at what point does like, do I say, okay, that guy holds more value than Grayson Rodriguez. Okay, so this is the really hard thing with prospect evaluation, right? And this is why I tip my cap to Aram all the time, because you almost have to, um, we're so rooted in data. We're so rooted in this guy's done it here. Here is the cut and dry concrete box score that shows this guy's name in a major league game. But you almost have to be imaginative and you have to say, okay, well, if Grayson Rodriguez was in Shane Boz's shoes right now and he debuted when Boz did, is Grayson Rodriguez having a more successful debut than Boz with the stuff that he has with the seasoning that he has had? And I think I personally say yes. Like I I think that Grayson Rodriguez is a better pitcher than Shane Boz with all the data that we have available on both of them. I think that if G-Rod was in an identical situation to that of Boz, G-Rod may have performed better you know what i mean so and, and i don't and i, and, and I don't that. and i don't disagree with that i don't disagree that he may have performed better but, but that's not what happened because he wasn't in the big leagues exactly. and so this goes this goes back to our conversation um not on dylan not with dylan but um last tuesday where we talked about rap soto and Trackman being awesome tools and i think they are awesome tools but are we placing too what much stock they- in them yeah you're well you're placing no stock on a major league hitter seeing him in a box. Yeah. And that's where I question like, okay, this even for, you know, for hitters like Josh Young, where the Rangers are banking on Josh Young being it, right? The guy's never seen a major league pitch. We don't know. We don't know if it's going to happen. I, I think he's going to be a good player. I, I don't think there's a fear there, but like, we don't know. I, um, I just really think that there's there's not enough stock held in that. In have I seen what this guy's going to do against major league talent? Because major league, the major league talent is different. It's it's the whole the whole thing is different. Um, I, I'm thinking of how much stock we place in the way that a pitch projects, right? The the data on a pitch. And I'm curious, as a guy that stood in against sinkers and a guy that stood in against 2,500 RPM fastballs that are 98 top of the zone, can you tell that a fastball is 2,500 RPMs? Like, can you tell that this guy's got great ride and I'm not going to touch this even if I try? Uh, Not necessarily, but you can definitely sense when it's a, like, this is where, okay, so we've talked about, like, the the mix of old school and new school hitting. And right. I have said for the past, however long it's been around, I've said, I think the biggest issue, one reason I think I'll make a good manager is I think that I can handle both sides. One reason that I think that I handle both sides is because I believe this. I believe that the only difference between old school and new school is the way we talk about it. Yes. So when I'm watching, um, 
I'm trying to think about like a Justin Verlander with a really good ride fastball, right? Before we had the data and we could see that it was spinning that much, right? The, the hitting coach would come up to you and he'd say, hey, dude, he's going to live at the top of the zone. That ball's got a really good rise. It's got a really good ride. Stay off that ball. Yeah. The new style hitting coach is going to say, hey, he's spinning it at 3,000. His vert is really high. Don't touch the ball at the top. Yes, it's, it's just different language. Message. It's different totally. language. The Ted Williams launch angle thing. Have you seen that video of Ted Williams almost like giving a hitting tutorial and he's explaining the best swing is not one that is even. The best swing is with a slight uppercut. That's launch angle, people. Like that's all Ted Williams so is talking about. Totally. And it's all about for like for the actual player. It's about doing what you think to make you do an action. Because I believe that so few athletes, including major leaguers, know exactly what they actually do. We talked about this with Dylan. I think most guys know what they think to make them produce an outcome, um, to make them produce their body in a position to do something. And you watch like old hitting videos of A-Rod and all those guys, and all those guys talk about swinging down to the ball. I thought about swinging down to the ball. Did I do that? No. I know that I didn't do that. But that was the thought process to get my moves correct. So you can tell me it was the wrong thought, and I'm okay with that. But it's the thought that got me to the right spot. So in my mind, it's the right thought. 100%. 100%. I want to go back real quick to the the fastball thing. Because like, and just preaching like, same thought, different language. Um. When I was 14, 15, and I was actually discovering that, hey, you know, playing catch is the best thing to do pitching wise. Um, And when you actually start focusing on how the ball leaves your fingertips when you play catch, I had pitching coaches tell me, try and feel your index and middle finger off the seam last. That will make it a a heavier fastball almost like that will, you know, upspin a little bit and it will be a more effective pitch. That's all spin is, right? It's feeling it off of your index and middle. So kind of, I will say this, though. This is an interesting concept now. Um, So heavy fastballs, in essence, typically are lower spin fastballs. Yeah. So that is something that a lot of people, when they watch the game and they listen to the announcers, they don't think that because the best fastballs um, according to statistics and according to most teams, are fastballs with a lot of ride and a lot of spin. Those typically are not heavy fastballs. When you're when you hear somebody talk about a heavy fastball, for the it's most a bowling part, ball, yeah, it's almost a sinker gonna type, right? Sinker. It's going to be a yeah. sinker with with less spin. So I want people at home to know that because I hear that all the time. Like, man, that guy's got three thousand RPM. He's got a heavy fastball. Or like, I'll even talk to pitchers when they're playing catch and they're playing catch with somebody that spins the ball really well. Um, we, you saw Mike Burroughs spins the ball really well, right? right? Like somebody plays catch. I don't know, but somebody plays catch with him comes in and says, Hey man, that was a really heavy fastball. Like, yeah, really, really wasn't. No, it, it was actually rides. right. Totally. Now the next part, and I want to, I'm going to jump back a little bit because I remembered what I wanted to say. Yeah. One thing that I think teams are trying to do with the rap soda with track man. And it's showing up now on prospect lists is they're trying to use the data to recreate pitchers you're trying to use the data to recreate success that we know has happened understandable right like all i'm trying to do in a game all the analytics guys are trying to do in the game is put all the percentages in my favor 
so that I have the most odds, the best odds of winning. I think people at home need to know that. Like, that's where I don't hate on the front office analytics. That's why I love the front office analytics. Because if you do it the right way, if they if they go about it the right way, it's all just about putting me in the position to succeed and putting the team in the, the position to succeed. It's not about, hey, I'm going to tell you who needs to hit one through nine because that's going to win. No, I'm going to tell you the 25 guys that need to be on your roster because that's going to give you a 1% chance of winning an extra game. But that extra game may mean the difference between the wild card and sitting at home in September or in October. Yeah. Um, But I do think that they're taking these numbers and they're saying, okay, let's use 10 So you said it earlier, but like, let's use Grayson and Shane Boz. We're using the data. We're looking at the data. We're saying, okay, this has been successful. This hasn't been successful. One guy does one better. One guy doesn't do that as well. So the guy that has the better numbers on the back end, I'm going to take that guy because there's theory, yeah, it should work in the big leagues. And that's where I question like, you know, there's, there's wearable tech. Everybody sees the wearable tech everywhere on our arms. There's wearable, you know, stuff that you're wearing. So catapult, so catapult, I'm convinced that you're trying to figure out like, this is interesting to me. Can I recreate the the example I've always given was Jake Arrieta pitching late in October for the Chicago Cubs. If he was wearing a catapult and I could know what his heartbeat was because Jake, Jake was a guy that was like fiery at the right moments, but pretty calm throughout the rest of the game. Right. So like, could I recreate his heartbeat? And if I have his stuff and I see that this guy, I'm just going to name somebody just because I, it's a guy's on my mind, Hunter Brown, Hunter Brown's on the mound. And I know, that he can control his heartbeat like the best pitchers in baseball. Does that like, or a guy that has lesser stuff, but I know that he can control the variables better. Does yeah. does he now? Now I move him a little better, right, a little faster, right? Like, I think that's coming. I I hope it is because that is the element that I think everybody's missing right now, and and we try to talk to as many prospects as we possibly can to try and get a feel for the makeup, try and get a feel for how they are in the moment. Um, Because in reality, the only people that know how they are in the moment are the ones that are either reading the catapult measurements or the ones that share a dugout with them. Pitchers, it's even harder because you get immediate, you know, you're talking to a hitter right before they go hit, right after they go hit. Pitchers, they're alone for five to 10 minute spurts at a time. So the only guys that really understand how they exist on the mound makeup wise is themselves. You can see a little bit with the naked eye, but the only ones that really know what's going on are those guys and the ones that are actually measuring heartbeat. So that I think is, is almost what's missing, right? How does this guy feel? How does he tick? How does he tick? tick? Literally. It is. How does he tick? And so many people don't know the answer to that until you see them in every sort of scenario at the major league level. Like, I think we have a definitive answer on how Scherzer ticks, on how Verlander ticks, and that might be it in terms of major league pitchers because we've seen them in every single possible scenario because they've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah, and I and I think that's where, like, I think that, um, it, I think it's a great idea. It's a great concept. I just wonder if some people try to take it too far. If you yeah. try to to create something out of nothing, um, right. and it, it, you know, now look, here's the other thing I'll say is like, you have to try, you know, the one thing I've always given baseball 
probably more so than a lot of people. Um, I, re, you know, I've been in baseball so long that like Kyle Bodie and driveline, I think started after I did. Right. So like yeah. there was a huge, you know, before analytics, there was this huge push against driveline. And the one thing that I have always said about driveline is that no matter how you feel about them, no matter how you feel about Kyle, no matter how you feel about the data, no matter how you feel about anything they've done, they have questioned the norm. And it, and I, I, I believe that you have to question something to grow. And so if nothing else, they questioned it and they made the rest of the league look around at themselves and say, Hey, are we getting better? Or are we just staying? Are we just standing still? And I think a lot of the league was content with where they were. And I think that teams took that a different way than I think a player would have in a sense of, I think from a player's aspect, I would have taken that and I would have tried to go straight to development. I think teams took that and they said, Hey, we're going to use the analytics. We're going to, We've been paying these guys the exact same way for 40 years. We've been watching people. We need to use this data to figure out how to pay somebody. And I think that's where it started. Like teams are like, hey, we need to figure this out. And now it's led to, oh, hold on. This data is extremely valuable to players also, which we knew. But it's kind of, if you have the right people teaching it, it's easily teachable. Yeah. So I, I can now use this data to teach our players to be better, to pay them more money in the end. So now we all win, right? Um, I think that if, if, if it were me, if it were a player, if it were an ex-player, we would have said, let's go straight to development. Take all that data, give it straight to the players. Let's figure out how we can make guys better so that teams get better and then we'll pay them more, yada, yada, yada. But it's a business and I understand that, you know? Like, <laughs> I think that, everybody's entranced in, uh, at least in social media, my social media, everybody's entranced in this concept of the NFL's rig, right? Like, it's a business. And and I think that they make decisions based on the best thing for their business. So whatever they make, whatever they decide to do, it's based on their business. And the exact same thing happens in baseball. Yeah. They're making decisions based on their business. The best business for them is to pay guys as little as possible. Yeah. That is what they are supposed to do. So it's their insurance agents. Yes. And still, you know, you say pay guys as little as possible. I mean, look how high the market values are for people. And we were just talking with Dylan about this last week, right? He was underpaid by what the market dictates. And the best pitchers in baseball, you know, pre-arb, he shouldn't be granted pre-arb like that's how the contract structure works. But if it was just an open market and everybody went in with a blank check and it was going to be filled out by the organization relative to market value in this 2023 season, like Dylan Cease, if he was in, you know, like free agency right now, if everybody was signing one year deals all the time, I mean, he's a $35 million arm in 2023, right? Like his yeah. value this year is probably around $35 million. If the top end is forty three, but I mean, he's, it has to be. He he's a top he's a top five arm, so I mean he has to be. But he's going to make five. But he's going to make the five. The question, so so like we talked about earlier, um, we talked about like, well, not we, but the the league talked about the potential of doing like a a war based arbitration system. How did you feel about that? I like it um, because it is you know, trying to find results and in turn you get paid for what you do. Like I, I'm a fan of you are rewarded for the work you do. 
Um, the only thing that I will push back on is injury. Like injury is the big hurdle you got to overcome here, right? Because if a guy is really good for 40 games um, and, and suffers a season ending injury, okay, you know what could be in the tank there. I think those guys would make more if it wasn't directly correlated to war. That's fair. I mean, but do you, do you, yeah. And I mean, we, there, if, if, if this would have ever happened, it probably would have had some insurance, just like all the other major contracts do to where, Hey, the guy was a two win player through 50 games. He would have, he would have ended up being a five win player by our, by our things. And maybe like now here, so here's an interesting, this is like a, I guess this could be a conversation, but like, what if what if you went what if you went war based and the the injuries turned into arbitration like that was your arbitration because you're not going to have arbitration anymore because you're getting paid based on flat out data and i think one of the interesting like pieces of that was the discrepancy between whose war are we going to use and i think that's a big discrepancy for me personally i'm a guy that loves to read into data i love to read into um who's worth what, who's doing what. Like, I think it's incredibly interesting and I haven't figured it out yet. Like looking at somebody's numbers that I don't think look as good as this guy's, but this guy, but player A's got a higher war. Do we use Fangraph's war? Do we use baseball reference war? Do we use this other people's war? Right. So like, I do think that's an interesting like piece of this is if we ever like, do you, like when we're talking about war for the most part, it's F4, correct? Like yes. it's Fangraph's work. Yes. Um, it is a bit more um, adjusted for proper like defensive um, measurement. Right. Like at what point does that become the 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 end all be all? At what point is there one more? That's what I want. That's what I yeah. need. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what baseball needs because that yeah, lowercase totally, F at the beginning. Just, yeah, it is valued. And you know, I, I thought it was so interesting. I think we talked about this for a minute last week, but Carlos Correa, when he was on TBS during the postseason, um, you know, he was talking about what helps. Maybe we didn't talk about it. Maybe it was on we the didn't talk baseball about this. show. So Carlos Correa, um, did you watch him at all when he was on TBS doing the studio stuff during the postseason? So Correa, he was asked what goes into, you know, what are players, what is the modern player focused on when they go into arbitration when they go into um, free agent dealings. And he said, there are a couple numbers that we really want to look at. We want to look at war. We want to look at WRC plus, and we want to look at weighted on base average, WOBA. Um, and this is all factoring in advanced analytics. These are players using advanced analytics to try and guesstimate what their worth is. WRC plus is as all encompassing in offensive stat as you will find. And WOBA is almost severity of contact paired with how often you're getting on base and, and and things like that. So I think that that idea that the analytics are for the people upstairs and, you know, nobody else is using them is false because you guys are absolutely oh. taking a gander at those. The, the be- I'll say this. The best players are. The best yes. players are using them. And if, uh, well, if they're not, they're that talented. I'll tell you yeah. that. Yeah. So. And I, and I think there are, don't get me wrong. There are for sure people in the game that don't have to look at them ever and are just that good. I, I, I believe that somebody brought up one time I and mean, everybody can relate to this. I don't care if you played little league or what, when it's three Oh, and you know, you're taking the pitch the pitch looks like a freaking beach ball. It doesn't yes. matter. It doesn't matter where it is. You know, you're not going to swing. It's the best thing you've ever seen. 
Correct. I had a hitting coach one time ask me, like, is that what Mike Trout sees every time that he sees a pitch? Probably. Like, is that the difference? And that's a crazy thought. That's a wild thought to me. Like, is that the difference? Is that what we're talking about? Is that – because you'll hear forever people tell you that the talent level – once you get to AAA and once you get to the big leagues, like, those guys are all similarly talented. Like, there's your outliers. There's your O'Neill Cruises. There's your Shohei Otanis. But, like, I, I would go and tell you that there were people that would do better at a MLB combine than Mike Trout. But nobody will do better, uh, you know, at in the baseball. past 10 years <laughs> than Mike Trout. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so like, I think that's interesting. Now let's go back to Correa. So the stuff with Correa, I think is, is that's using the data in a different way than most people would suspect him using the data. Yeah. That's him using the data to say, Hey, I know what data is going to make me money. So yes. I know I need to know how do I make that data better? Now take it a step further. We have to figure out a way to figure out what statistics and what data can I improve on to make the that data better? Yeah. And that is where uh, the guy that I always point to is Sam Fold. I, Sam Fold is the first guy that I remember when he took his first job. It, he was the first guy announced to be like the middleman. I'm going to be the guy that explains to the front office what the players are thinking. I'm going to be the guy that explains to the players what the front office is thinking. The way that I like to put it is, not all of the data is good for players. The best the best coaches in baseball can tell you which data makes you better. I think I I you know, uh one of my favorite hitting coaches I've ever had was was Ryan Fuller, who's the hitting coach in Baltimore. And I well I'll we'll probably get him on at some point, but cool. one of the things that I've said that he did, I believe that he made me he could tell me how certain numbers would make me better. Not a not a hitter, not the hitter, yeah. me. And I think that's important. We've talked about it, I think, in the first episode, but like it's about being the best you. And and how do you figure out how to do that? It's not by looking at all the data because I'll tell you this, it gets overwhelming. Like yeah. people ask the biggest difference between AAA and, and the big leagues. One of the biggest differences is the amount of information. Yeah. And most teams don't do a good enough job of explaining that information to the players. Most teams, um, I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like the big leagues keeps their data kind of close to the chest for the most part. But like you're getting significantly more scouting reports, more more graphs, more data plots. Um, and it, dude, like you need a class. You need like a freaking semester to figure this out, you know? Like, yeah. Um, but in that, like, the reason that it's difficult is because you're trying to figure out what data can I use and what data do I not need to ignore, but what data can I, can, can I ignore? What data can I let go? Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's all telling you a simple thing. You just have to know how to interpret it, right? Like you are getting these data points and you know all they're telling you is you got to figure out a way to hit the ball harder. How is that? And then that comes into real-time baseball. So I was just talking with a buddy um, that I was doing some college basketball with last week, and we were talking about James Harden in Houston, right? He was just iso ball. It was nauseating, and guys would benefit from that iso ball. And Mike D'Antoni, apparently he was you know, having a conversation on, on a podcast or maybe an interview, and D'Antoni was saying, yeah, I know that it was like an aesthetically not very pleasing and frustrating offense to watch, but – 
shit, man. I mean, that was our most effective offense. Like we were scoring 1.2 points per possession when Harden was just dribbling the air out of the basketball. And then with four on the shot clock, he would take that double step back and drill a three. Like that was the most effective form of offense. And all the data points of Harden's true shooting percentage of, of Harden, you know, not distributing to a 25% three-point shooter that's in the corner and he's going to try and drive baseline. That's all telling them one very simple thing. Don't pass the freaking ball. Just shoot it, James. That's what baseball data points are kind of telling guys, right? When the fastball is that good, an opponent OPS is that low against a fastball. Shit, man, throw your fastball more. Like that's what DeGrom did. He upped his fastball usage by like 10% and still nobody threw it. So it's all leading you to a very simple thing, but it's a very complex way of getting to a simple thing. Yes, and let me give you this. I think that the the, the number three is going to be fantastic because the three-point, because you said this, but I remember my college coach always talked about in college that like, look, man, the three-run homer wins games. Yeah. And he was like, look – try to find a way to stay out of the three run homer. I think everybody's heard like three run innings, lose games. I don't know. There is a stat and I don't know if you ever heard this, but like, so in high school, we always talked about the beginning, stay away from the beginning. The beginning is three runs. Teams that have big innings win some crazy amount of times. Like if you have a three run inning, the chances of you winning goes up crazy. Right. I mean, kind of obviously, but yeah. One reason in my mind that, all of the launch angle, all of this happened was because the three-run home run won games. So what do we do? We get a bunch of boppers. We put boppers in the lineup and hope to hit a three-run home run, and it worked. It worked for a few years until we got rid of the guys that were getting on base for the boppers. Yes. We turned it into solo home runs. And so the outside eye – the the naive the the per not naive I don't want to say naive the the, the uh, onlooker is going to look at it and go look the offensive numbers are not down it, the all of the data is pretty similar but we're not winning games anymore we're scoring fewer runs why well because you've got nine of the same get, guy so, exactly you're not getting so like the guy the team this is goes back to why I believe that Tampa's done it so well for so long. You get somebody on base, you get somebody on base, chip opper. You get somebody on base, you get somebody ace, home run. Get somebody on base, get somebody on base, a guy can hit home run. And, like, they were really good at figuring out ways to do that. I remember John Mosellock at one point, I watched him, I think it was on baseball, uh, MLB Network, and I, it, it clicked with me, but he was like, I try to build my team based around a puzzle. Like, I fit pieces in. I know who I want to be, the the type of player I want in my in my corners. I know the type of player I want in my center fielder. I don't necessarily need to go get the best player available if he doesn't fit my profile. And I think like that's where we've gotten away from that a little bit. And it's gone more to give me the, give me the ISO. I want give me as much power as I can get. I don't care if he gets on base, Um, you know, and, and like, look at Moneyball. go back to Billy Bean, go back to Oakland. Like this guy's got on base so they could hit three run home runs. Right. It's funny like, so I just find it so interesting because the the adage among pitchers is solo homers don't hurt you. Um, and the adage here is the three-run homer kills you. So here's yep. what we're talking about. We're talking about guys that are trying to hit three-run homers with nobody on base. 
And that in turn is not killing the pitcher. Now, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the Cardinals because I think going into this year, they may be my favorite offense to watch. And I think they are the most well-rounded offense in baseball because you, you, you've got Goldschmidt, you've got Arenado, Goldschmidt, the MVP, Arenado, another guy that can hit 30 to 35 homers. But what do you have elsewhere? You have Brendan Donovan, who's a 400 OBP guy. You've got Lars Newbar, who looks like an all-around back. You've got Dylan Carlson, where if he bounces back, he's bat to ball. He was minimal impact this past year. Your seven hole, your seven holes got a chance to hit 30 in Bush. Exactly, man. Exactly. And Tyler O'Neill is one of those guys that you can slap in the seven hole with two OBP guys in front of him. Yeah, so I yeah. think that and, is and, the perfect. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. The, the the interesting piece will be like, how do they, how do they, how do they put that lineup together? Because I'm with you. Like, if I'm looking at that, I and this is we can play this right now, I guess. But like, I think I think I'm gonna hit Goldschmidt second. I think I'm gonna hit Arenado fourth. I think I'm gonna hit. I this may like turn some people off, but I'm going Wilson. I'm going Wilson at seven. We're we're gonna we're gonna end the pod putting together the perfect cardinal lineup here. So okay, you're okay, dealing okay, with okay. you're dealing with um Wilson. Go so w- w- Wilson, Paul Goldschmidt, Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Lars Newbar, Dylan Carlson, Tyler. Yeah, and we'll we'll pencil and in who's DH. Yep, as the DH. I think Jordan Walker is going to be the DH like two months in. That guy is prodigious. Who are they going to? Who are they? They're going to probably platoon Yepes with somebody, right? Yepes with either Gorman or Burleson. I like Burleson, man. I haven't seen Gorman, but obviously you saw Burleson torch us. But um, I liked it. I like the swing. I like the path. I think he's a he's a he's a big body. I think I, I and like. He doesn't him. punch out. It, it, the bat stays in the zone a really, really long time. Like, um, it's really it. it yeah, I, I, I thought he's a really talented hitter. I'm, I'm interested to see how he does this year. So, like, he's a guy. That's a great. We could have brought him up at the beginning of this. Like, he's a guy who, like, if I send him to a combine, by no means, and I don't mean to offend him, but like, oh, no. he's not as talented as O'Neill. He's not as talented as Jordan Walker. Talent, but boy, did he do it in AAA, and he got to the big leagues. But nobody's got him rated higher than Jordan Walker. It's it's the Vinny Pasquantino conversation. Um, Aram calls it the Ty France effect, where they're just that good of a hitter and they've got nothing that stands out. But all of a sudden, he's an all-star. Yep, totally, totally. Okay, so I'm going to go um, – the the leadoff guy has to be – now, now I'm going to start the year leading off either Edmund or Donovan. Okay. Right? One of those two guys is going to lead off. I'll give you this, though. And this is like, this is random, but if Dylan Carlson has a tough start, week or so, I'm putting Dylan Carlson leading off. Why? He's going to get more fastballs. Now, if he struggles with fastballs, then I'm not going to do it. But if he doesn't struggle hitting fastballs, I'm putting him at one. He's going to get more pitches to hit, and it's just a change. Like, we talk about change of scenery. I've told you I think it's real. Change of scenery within the lineup is real also, and his manager giving him that, like, man, like, I think you can do this. I'm not giving up on you. That that also works sometimes. So let's start with those two. But the other reason, honestly, is, like, if I put Dylan Carlson at one, I'm content with having – 
a second leadoff guy, you know, the, the cliche second leadoff guy at nine. And now I've got a leadoff guy, worst case scenario, I've got a leadoff guy in my nine hole and then Paul Goldschmidt. Like, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. So I'll, I'll start it. I'll go Brendan Donovan. I'm going to go Paul Goldschmidt there next. Okay. I'm going to take Goldschmidt. This is the interesting piece to me because, like, growing up for me, it was always the three-hole was always your best play. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I go here because I almost – like, I wouldn't mind going, like, Brendan Donovan, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond. Interchangeable Edmond Donovan and then going Arenado at four – then hold on. Then I'm gonna go. Then I'm gonna go Tyler O'Neill, and I'm gonna break up the righties, and I'm gonna go Lars Wilson right there. Okay. And and then, then Yepes, then, then Carlson. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Okay. So, um, stereotypical baseball thinking will burn you at the stake for having Tommy Edmond in the three hole. Totally. Totally. But in my mind, so here's how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it as I want a two run home run in the first inning. I'm going to give myself two chances. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how I'm looking at it. It's a 400 OBP guy a year ago. Donovan, even if he regresses a little bit, he's still going to walk all the time. He's going to be a 380 to 390 OBP guy. So Donovan Goldschmidt, there's your two run homer. Then you got, he gets out. Yep. Then Edmund Arenado. I'm actually going to go Newt Bar, Arenado. Okay. So the only reason I didn't go Newt Bar was I wanted to save the lefty bat. But Edmonds is, is Edmonds a switch? Edmonds a I switch. I, I just – I would rather – I think I wanted the – but, okay, does, Lars has a little more power too, right? Lars has a little bit more juice. I was more concerned with getting on base at the top of the lineup than I am having the juice there. So, like, I'm almost like murderer's row – kind of down a little bit like let's move that down a little let's go i mean dude you're gonna have to i mean like you're right the whole lineup is crazy but like if you gotta face arenado tyler o'neill lars newbar wilson Contreras, all four of those guys could hit 30 next year yeah like that's where that's where i would say like at the you don't want them to be solo shots yeah yeah, and like at the end of your lineup, like I'm more, I, yeah, I want my guys getting on base early, and then I'm going to take my chance late. Outside of that, I'm going to take my chances of homers. Okay, so you went, you just went Donovan, Donovan, Goldschmidt. Yep. Edmund. So here's what I'll say. Here, here, let's let's say this. Let's say this. Let's let's be fair to myself. Let's go. Donovan and Edmund are relatively interchangeable to me. Yeah. I want Goldschmidt at two, and I want Arenado at four. Okay. And then I'm going to go. Tyler O'Neill at five, Lars Newbar at six, Wilson Contreras at seven, uh, Yepes at eight, Carlson at nine. And, like, if I'm doing that, then I'm probably sticking with – Donovan's a righty, right? Or is Donovan a lefty? Uh, Donovan is a lefty. Oh, that's – okay, so then I'm – oh, man, see, you're right. They are sh- – Gosh, man, that is a that is a really tough lineup to pitch against. It's a you've got really, so... really good lineup. Yeah. That I mean, I'll tell you what, this lineup is going to expose the three hitter minimum rule. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. 
as good as good as any lineup I can think of in the past. Wow. Yeah, because they're so interchangeable. They've got four or five true right-handed bats. They've got two true left-handed bats, and they've got two switch hitters. But one of those righties can turn into a lefty in a platoon. So you're seeing a right-handed arm. Yepes may not be the DH. Instead, it might be Gorman or Burleson. So you're going, I mean, in your world, you're going lefty in Donovan, righty in Goldschmidt, uh, lefty in, or switch in Edmund. Um, righty and Arenado, righty and Tyler O'Neill, in O'Neill, lefty and Newtbar, righty and Contreras, left. Oh, Siri's talking to me. Inter- inter- interchangeable at DH. Yeah. So switch, switch. Call it a switch, right? Yeah. Lefty against yeah. righties in Burleson or Gorman, and then, and then righty and then a lefty in Carlson, and then a switch hitter in Carlson. Yeah. Sorry, switch hitter. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's insane. That's right. Yeah, and see, so like, let's do this too, man. Like, freaking take that. And that's let's go back to Dylan Carlson leading off. I'm gonna tell you what, Mosellock, you need to listen to this podcast, man. Put <laughs> put Carlson leading off. Freaking, you gotta you go switch lead off into Goldschmidt into switch into Arenado. I mean, the thing, the only issue there is Brendan Donovan gets less at bats than Dylan Carlson, which is not what we want, and I grasp that. But if it gets Dylan Carlson to go, and okay, Dylan Carlson's a guy like that's a guy that like two years ago, if I had to do Brendan Donovan versus Dylan Carlson, no questions asked. I'm taking Dylan Carlson. Like that guy was as big of a prospect as most. But people as, didn't as know who as, Donovan was at the beginning of last year. That's fair, but he did in the big leagues. Yeah. Okay. And Carlson so- did in the minor leagues. You ready? I uh, I asked Peter and Arm this on the Just Baseball show. This is my last question. Um, okay. I asked them to do this on the Just Baseball show. I said, rank these five by value. Donovan, Carlson, O'Neal, Newtbar, Gorman. I think they Raven are all by... carbon copies of each other. But I said Donovan really? won. Yeah. Okay, so Donovan, Carlson, Newtbar, uh, Gorman, Gorman and O'Neill. Like they're not okay. carbon copies in terms of how they play, but I think in terms of value, I think they they're all valued almost identically. I I think that O'Neill has the highest ceiling. No, yes, no, no, that's floor. not true. That's not true. That's not true. I think Dylan Carlson has the highest ceiling. I really do because Cause his ceiling I, is batting saw, title. Yeah, I saw Dylan. I saw Dylan in AAA when he was really good. So I that's there, and I I know that's there. I I don't know that he'll do it in the big leagues, but the ceiling's there. The second highest ceiling to me is Tyler O'Neill, and you're correct. Also lowest floor. Uh, well, no, I think the lowest floor is Gorman. To be honest with you, like I think we saw it. I think we saw second half Nolan Gorman. Like that's the lowest floor. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take like value. Are we saying value in 2023? Yeah, I'm saying, like, who do the St. Louis Cardinals want on the St. Louis Cardinals the most to the least in 2023? I'm going to take Dylan Carlson first. And wow. I know that's going to shock some people. The reason is that defense in center field. And who are you going to put in center field if you don't have him? Right. So I'm going to take him. For, for true value for the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals, I'm taking Dylan Carlson. Then I'm going to go Brendan Donovan. Um, I'm going to take Tyler O'Neill because he's hit 30 in the big leagues. This is like going – now – we're coming full circle. 
Right. I'm taking Brent right. Donovan. I'm taking I'm taking him because he's he's there. Um and then we got who Gorman and who? And Newbar. I am like I think Lars is a good player. I think he's a very good player. I I love the fact that like he has become the social media and the internet's like like they love him. He's, he's like it. most underrated player in baseball to the point where he's properly rated now. Dude, he's it. So I'll give you Newbar there and then Gorman. And I like Gorman. I think that first half was not a fluke, but you have to question if the second half was the, the league catching up to him. And and I think that's real. I think a lot of times you see that. Um, another guy that this happened to, Ian Happ, um, who's overcome it. But like Ian Happ's a guy that had a really good first half when he broke into the big leagues. But it took three Next years year, to overcome it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Next year, really struggled, but he's overcome it. Um, now, He's not the – but, you know, the interesting part about Ian Happ is, like, he is not the same hitter that you thought – the productive Ian Happ of 2022 is not who you thought you were getting when he went to the big leagues in 2018 or whatever he did. Correct. You know what I mean? Like you different thought type you of were ball player. Get, you thought you were getting the guy that was going to hit 250 with 30 that was going to play second and center. Instead, yeah. you're going to get the guy – I would say hopefully I I don't know what he wants to do, but like my guess would be he would love to be the two ninety with fifteen playing the Gold Glove left field. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know another interesting piece to that. Hundred percent. This was good, man. We got a player interview coming on Friday, uh, but always a pleasure. And, and I love this. And John Moselak, we got to get this on his desk somehow. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shoot that to him. I'll have my agent uh, when when my agent asks him for a job. I'll uh, I'll have him ask him if he can listen to the podcast too. Perfect. That sounds great. All right, guys, we'll talk to you on Friday.